Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. All right, welcome Wheatland family. We are now in the cross-reference with um, your host, Dr. Daniel Spanger, professor, historian, elder at large, uh, and Pastor Luke Leduc. Uh, this week, we are talking about the sermon that actually came from this week. So, Pastor Luke, we finally caught up with ourselves, or yeah, caught up with you, whatever it is. It's nice um, to catch up every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, I, I felt like I, I felt I could feel the lag there uh, starting mm. to form. So, like we're back on track. So this, this past week, we, we talked just recently about your discussion of Genesis 1. Now you've got us through the rest of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 um, and talking about um, human, human beings and who we are mm-hmm. and who we are created to be. And you're, it's, it's, I know there's a, there's a lot of, and I, you and I have been talking about this and, and we've been talking about this outside of the church with friends, that you're doing a lot of heavy lifting to help us understand sort of how this all comes together. And we're going to unpack some of that. But if I could, maybe as just a starting point to get some clarity, it seems like what you're using all of that for is to try to give us a clear, and you said this in the beginning, mm-hmm. give us a really clear sense of our identity. Yeah. And, and in this one, give us a clear sense of our humanity. Yeah. And, and it, it, I, I'm guessing what you're sort of pushing back against is the way that the concepts of humanity have been changing around us in culture and how they've been stripped and removed. But yeah. something about this story is, is returning back to us something that's been lost. Yeah. And I know it's unfair to say in a sentence, but what, what's, what's that humanity that, that's being restored in this, in this passage? Yeah, it is hard to spit out in one sentence, but I do think that part of my eagerness in coming back to Genesis for the, you know, for the whole idea of this sermon series for our fall is um, part of that question that I started with, um, well, after we got through the spotted lanternfly, which, which, which was basically just a ruse. No, to... to but it's no, true, though. It's, it's yeah, actually it painfully is true. true. Yeah. It is true. Um, but the, the idea of where's our humanity gone just seems to be um, one of those questions, obviously, as I said in the sermon, that everyone from no matter where you're at right now you're able to accuse the other whatever the other happens to be in your own opinion of of sort of being less than human at at one level and so i feel like the thing that uh genesis 
two at one and two, obviously, but the thing that these first two chapters of Genesis do so well is remind us of where this idea of humanity even comes from. Like right. what ground are you standing on to be even secure enough to accuse someone right. else right. of having lost their humanity? It, it comes from uh, someplace that has to be acknowledged. And that place, I think, is God's creation of humanity. And that may allow us to be a bit more honest about what we're doing when we ask that question. Which is something you said in the sermon. And it, I thought this was really sharp as a historian. I, I resonated with it because I think it's overlooked. We tend to think, well, the way we think about things is normal. Everyone's always thought about this, right? They, they, yeah. They've always wanted democracy and, you know, freedoms and markets and jobs and and social safety nets since ever there was humanity, which is not true. And this idea that we've got this, this concept of human dignity or humanity having value is not a universally held concept. Right. And, and the fact, and you just said it differently to me. You said, even if you ask the question, where's our human humanity gone, already means you've been heavily influenced by a doctrine right. that right. says we have right. a humanity. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's like, yeah, asking a fish to describe water or something like that i mean you the fish doesn't think about it because it is the world that it's in mm -hmm. um but I, I, it, it occurred to me like basically what we're doing is saying context like every sermon we're saying context is really important mm -hmm. so once you go back and start digging around the context um yeah you realize that right away what's so important is the dignity and the value that every human is assigned mm. in this creation story that would not have been the case for thousands of years, perhaps of, mm. of, of civilization mm. for humans, for, for humanity. And, um, and it certainly wasn't the case in Egypt. Mm. Um, and I described it a little bit there in, in the sermon, the idea that part of the world you know only the king was right created in the image of god and if you right. if you could somehow be close to the king you would benefit from that but the further you got from that royalty whether you were in his house or, or in his you know whatever uh the further you got the worse life got for you if so you were valuing dignity and worth and all right of that, you know? that was right. well here's two things that strike me about that and thinking that way one is we're not as shocked as we should be Right. And, and then the other one occurs to me that I wonder if what we've done is we found our humanity in other things and imagine that those were legitimate sources like mm. and I'm all for civil rights and human rights. Those are really important concepts, but it's almost like they're bequeathed to us by an advanced progressive culture. We've, we've advanced the point yeah. we now know humans are valuable and here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah. So I almost I've almost allowed my thinking to be relocated to those areas and say, I'm asking those sources again to tell me why I'm human. Because I imagine they're the ones that gave it to me. I kind of right. feel like, oh, my Western right. culture gave it to me by dignifying me with a job and money and nice clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm asking it to dignify me again. But I guess from this text, because those are all artificial claims, I'm really looking in the wrong place for that. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, yeah. that's helpful to relocate it. Like, what, how do I think of myself differently if, if I'm going back to creation for this? Right. Yeah. And I think part of, part of what I found so helpful is that idea uh, you said it well i think is that we're not nearly shocked enough yeah, by yeah. by what's there but 
oddly enough, what we're shocked by is like, how could what happened in Germany just in the middle of the last, how could that affect, I mean, if you sit from where we are this morning, that's, is that, I'm not a, I'm not a great mathematician, but it's less than a hundred years from where we sit this morning right, or this afternoon. So anyway, yeah, I think that idea of not being shocked is, is really um, an interesting thing because it lets us explore, okay, what, what are we missing about, um, what are we missing about history? What, what, what pieces are we, what questions are we not asking um, that allow us to be so surprised by that or what observations are we not able to make that allow us to be so shocked and surprised? And I'm not saying that what happened um, in Germany in the middle of the 20th century wasn't shocking and surprising. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is we have plenty of reason yeah. not to be surprised by that. Right. If we look at the grand scope and sweep of, of the history of humanity. Well, that's true. And, I, and you think what, you know, all these places where we go to, to get our humanity, they're, they're going to fail. Mm. They, they seem like they're not going to fail. Like, well, why would a culture that so highly prizes equality and all these things right. that certainly won't fail, yeah. but all of these are derivative, right? So all right. Of these sources of dignity, I think what you said, which caught me sort of off guard was that all of these claims as solid as they sound or from our culture or society or whatever it's coming from are all derivative of one of another source. And so yeah. we put our hope in those, or if we're yeah. going to seek our dignity there, it's, it's not going to work. Right. And that's, that's really, I, I think that's something that I didn't really expand on in the sermon, but that's exactly uh, the point going forward, isn't mm -hmm. it? In, in, in the story is that you can find new, um, you can find new ways and new grounds for human worth and dignity. But if it's not coming back to this and the story as God has given it to us and the reality, we've seen in other places in history that only this can bear the weight of who mm. we really are and who mm. we were meant to be. It's only this story of being created male and female in the image of God. Um, and what that means for our task and what that means for the world. It's only this that can actually bear the weight of mm. what we're, what we're doing here and what we're meant to do here in God's world. That's how, I mean, you think about, you think about how, how many people have run to other sources like social media sources. And we talked about mm -hmm. that infinitum, at least our culture has, but, yeah. but, but there's something to be said there that it can confer a lot of popularity. It can confer meaning, it can confer worth. I've said things, people agree yeah. with me. I'm for the right things. Right. Right. But that is such a fickle source that you can do all the right things one day. And then another mistake happens. You say something you didn't intend, or you got caught in a picture with someone you weren't supposed to be with someone on the other mm -hmm. side of the political aisle. Mm -hmm. And immediately you are scrubbed that that dignity is so tenuous. It just it mm -hmm. can come and go. And I think you're yeah. right. Even, even in the ancient time that the, the stories that scripture lay out about this compared to the peoples they were around, it's such a tenuous thing. Yeah. Um, that I, and I say, you say heavy lifting, but yeah, I mean, where else can you go to get something so constant that even if your surroundings collapse, 
and you end up in poverty or you end up in prison, or you mm-hmm. end up in change, you still have something they can't take from you. Right. But if, right. if it's constructed any other way, it all can be removed. Mm-hmm. Any other form of dignity is entirely artificial and synthetic. But this yeah. one, and even the indignity, like I'm, I do me and I'm important for who I am. That's as long as your confidence lasts, which let's, let's be honest, that's Right. It's a hit or miss thing. And that's as long as the society lets you do. Right, you. Exactly, exactly. Because that's not always a given. That's right. That's not those a given. things go. Those. Uh, yeah, I won't get into that. But those things come and go. The patience for for this or for that come and go. Yeah. And that and that really that really to I think there's some to this week. You helped me see the really practical implications of saying our dignity lies in this story, because compared to the other places we let it lie in. Mm. Um, yeah, that's helpful. It's, it's far more enduring and static in one sense than what all these other places. Um, yeah. Do. Now I'm, I'm going to ask you a, a tough question because I feel okay. like this is the right space for that. Yeah. Um, since we only have a few you know, people listening to us. Yeah, all six um, of them. So let, let's get to the let's get to the, to the question about the woman here because mm, this is mm-hmm. this can be theologically fraught with with landmines everywhere. So I'm going to step out of the field and push you in right to the and landmine then you're area. Run. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just keep running, Luke. Right. Don't slow down. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So what do we do with this? We've got you're talking about all this dignity, and we'll come back to the image of God. There's yeah. a lot. Of, there's a lot of yeah. stuff, but all this dignity and humanity, and then all of a sudden the woman yeah. is derivative of the man. The right. woman is a helper of the man. Woman right. comes from man. Yeah. Um, are we seeing a reduction in her dignity somehow when we see this language? Well, I think um, Christianity has certainly had that charge leveled at. Mm-hmm. Our, our story has had that charge leveled at it. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I think, uh, you know, as we're reading context, let's let's continue to read the context in one response and to say, I think the language here that we, that we have given that says maybe it's 127 or 28, I don't have it open in front of me, but basically the idea that in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. Uh, I should open it because I'm going to blow it, but when you're quoting scripture, it's always good to get it right. Right, right. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And again, when it says man there uh, in verse 27, Adam, it's not actually referring to Adam particularly. It's referring to the human race. It's so like maybe better. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Um, this idea that women were included in the image of God would have been another layer of shock and surprise. Because if there was, like at least in that context, if if men, uh, if the king Pharaoh, let's say, was the image of God, then you had uh, concentric circles, then maybe men were, and then women were somewhere down below the man as far as worth and dignity but here you have right from the get-go another sort of shocking and surprising thing is that this woman is made in the image of god uh, as the man is and i'm not saying that's the main thrust of this text that this text is blatantly proving equality because we both know the way the world worked that that's this is not exactly what 
this text is, is first and foremost proving, but I am saying that what's being set up here is something very shocking for, or at least challenging for the world into which it comes. Um, and as you, as you think about Eve coming from the side of Adam and becoming a helper, you know, I've, I've heard people riff on this lots and lots, you know, um, in, in trying to argue against the fact that Eve comes after man, they would say, yeah, but she's taken from his side. So not to rule over him mm -hmm. or to be underneath him, but to be beside him. And maybe, maybe some of that's going on there. I don't know. It feels like a bit of a stretch to me, but what I would say is that a helper suitable for Adam, you don't need to try and, and, and go to those other places to defend it, but be, because what God says is he has made a helper for Adam in the task of imaging God. I mean, she is co-sharing in the task of what Adam was meant to do. That becomes mm. clear in Genesis 2. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think you, you and I were talking about this a, a bit ago, Is uh, but that she shares in that authority. There's no sense in which the authority that God gives to Adam is somehow um, different than the authority that God shares with woman in this case. That's a, that's a huge thing for the ancient world. Couldn't there be a mistake sometimes when we approach texts like this? And I, I think, you know, by helping us to reframe and not saying that the ancient Near East had the right frame that God was interested in, but nonetheless, God's speaking to that one that, again, this is where we, so we brought Darwin back to Genesis 1, and sometimes we mm -hmm. bring ideas of social equality into the text and say, if there's dignity, it has to be equality of a certain sort. So, right. you know, there's, there's no one authority over the other. There's no, and, and the scripture doesn't play that game necessarily. It's not coming from that context. And does that also need to reshape us? Cause I, and I, I'm, I'm yeah. going to get outside of that issue because you were the one, the landmines, not me. So I'm not going right, to right. deal with you, but the scripture does seem to allow, or even, and you might say promote, I don't want to go too mm -hmm. far here, but certain social relationships we would find entirely unacceptable nowadays. Yeah. But that God doesn't seem to say are a danger to anyone's dignity or yeah. a danger to who they are in him. Right. So the, even the place of children in the Old Testament or even even in the even in the Mosaic law, the place of men and women, it was certainly right. one of sub subordinates. If right. Is that word functionally subordinates, right. not essential, like yeah. a woman was less than. But mm -hmm. there's a functional subordination to a woman goes. But that doesn't seem to be a threat to her in her image or a children under them or a king mm. over people or you know, yeah. people obeying their, their master, like, oh, those things don't seem to be threats to dignity, which I think the modern mind says, if you're not treated as an absolute equal, then you've lost all dignity. I just, I'm, I think that's a modern concept we've pushed back on the text somehow. Yeah, that's an interesting, that, that's an interesting um, observation. And I think it also, it also highlights just a, the caution to us to always always be aware that the questions we're asking of the text may not be right. <laughs> the right. answers that the text is seeking to give. Right. Um, and I think this is one of those classic areas, you know, another sort of thing that puts a wrinkle in, in that to, to make this demand equality or something like that. Um, I, it's the idea that uh, the whole structure, I mean, so here's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you did push me into the landmines. <laughs> Run, Luke. Um, yeah, no, but but here's what I, like this story 
comes into a patriarchal society. Yeah. There's no, uh, that's how the whole, um, especially Israel, as you, as you mentioned before, the Mosaic laws and all, all of that assumed a patriarchal society. And that wasn't a bad word in, yeah. in that time. This was, you know, it has come to mean a lot of what it did not mean in those times. But in, in that time, it meant that there was never a place where women and children weren't cared for and weren't part of the, um, the household, like, like tribes were set up by households. And, and there was always this, there was these safety nets and these social structures and safety nets within the household, a patriarchal household that, gave dignity and value and worth. And I'm not saying they're perfect. And I'm not saying that those things don't get abused because of course they do, because as they came into uh, a place of, of fallen humanity in a sense, but at the same time, um, it's hard to uh, make these, uh, make some of these texts answer the questions that we want them to and carry the weight that we want them to. Right. Um, so, yeah. So what, what do you do with the fact that God um, brings his revelation into a culture like that? There, there, you have to, you have to be more nuanced and more thoughtful yeah. and more um, patient with it than sometimes we often are. Well, yeah. And I think that's good. And I think the other part is that we, you know, you really want the text to confirm your own proclivities. And I think, you know, maybe there's some where that makes sense. Um, but I, there's so many of them that don't, in which case, you know, the, the idea that the scripture is there to reform me and me not to find my biases or beliefs there. And it, and it just means it's always somewhat uncomfortable how Jesus mm. treats the, 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 you know, the woman, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you dog, why would I give the crumbs or dog? You say, even if you were trying to make a point, you just right. don't talk to a woman. Well, Jesus right. did, and yeah. he's he's always challenging to us. And I do I do think there's this sense in which, if I could label it, there's a comfort hermeneutic, which is mm. whatever's comfortable is probably the right way to read the text, and whatever's uncomfortable yeah. is probably not the right way to right. read it. Right. Yeah. And I think what what I like about dealing with it honestly, like this, saying okay, and, and I, I know you're saying something similar. I, I don't know exactly what all of it means, mm -hmm. um, but I I do know that probably what I get along with most is probably not the right reading of the text i've got mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to challenge my own view of how i interact mm -hmm. with other people women men mm -hmm. because scripture is asking is rechanging it's reforming me it's not right affirming my bias you made one other point that you didn't i know you didn't make in the in the sermon, but the idea of vocation, very reformed concept that mm -hmm. and I, and I think to talk like this way about image doesn't allow you to bifurcate. Like on the one side, there's my image. And then there's this yeah. thing over here that I do. Right. It's almost, it almost, you could read the text that once, you know, Adam and Eve are in the image, the yeah. vocation now becomes very clear. Well, that's it. And the I think it becomes vocation. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's it. If, if you are made in the image of God and then you already have assigned your vocation. <laughs> At least that's what we find here in the story unfolding. Right. And yeah, that's a really, I, I have to say that I would imagine 
some of my own angst as a young 20 something would have been alleviated <laughs> if I had known, you know, anyway. Well, well, but, well, but yeah. Okay. So hold on. So I, to, you know, I just connected this in my head. I don't know if this is where you're going. So you can tell me I'm wrong, which is fine. Epiphanies yeah. have been wrong. But, but if, if our image gives us a religious function, mm-hmm. then our relationship to God cultically or religiously is our vocation. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that frees us from finding, trying to find our ultimate identity in some other lesser idea of vocation like if your ultimate vocation is to be a king or queen and priest to god and that is what it means to be human all of the rest is it it takes some of the teeth out of out of that decision of oh what am i going to do with my life well all of a sudden it's a discussion about okay what little patch of the garden has god dropped me in here and and what do i find myself interested in that's a different discussion than what do I do with my life and the anxiety that comes with that sort of thing? Yeah. And it's almost less a question of what do you do than how do you do it? Yeah. If, if, if you're, and you, you said this to be, to exist is to be in relationship with God. Mm-hmm. If you tie all that together and, and you do see this in the saints, I, I think of, um, you know, missionaries I've heard of, or some I've met who have spent years in prison, prison or degradation with no chance of living a, a whole or full life. Mm. Somehow they see dignity, not in what happened to them, but in the fact that they saw a service to God in those spaces, mm. that, that, mm-hmm. that becomes a vocation. Like the vocation right. may be to have to be a servant in this case, a servant, a, a prisoner of Christ, mm. of someone else for Christ. That's your, now your vocation. And you do that for him and God which I, you know, if, if our identity is our religious role and a religious role is our vocation, I, I can see how you can say wherever God has called you becomes your vocation. Right. And wherever you are yeah. at the moment becomes a faithful, a way yeah. to live faithfully. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in, in his image. Yeah. yeah there's, there's and, and this is, uh, by the way, this is a, a huge key insight to the refer in the reformation and you know all of that stuff yeah which when you said vocation i thought that's what you're going and i yeah i could see to get from that point on the map to where where luther was going but i think yeah. you've added a little dimension here because i think we would still say and this is the monday sunday problem well, i'll go to church that's my religion god then then my my job right. the cultural mandate to make the world mm-hmm. better but some people don't aren't given the privilege of having jobs where they can make mm. things better sometimes they're yeah. just working and yeah at, at a repetitive job that they don't quite frankly like, and they can't yeah. see how is this vocational. But mm. I think what you're saying is your religious identity that actually is the vocation. Yeah. The thing you're doing is secondary to that mm-hmm. primal reality. And it's not that you said the right thing, your coworker shared the gospel just right. Right. Or, right. It's the very fact that you're related to him and you're being faithful. Mm-hmm. That's the vocation. That's the right. other stuff is, is what you do. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a lot. That's really helpful. Yeah. A ton. Yeah, but it, it turned the corner. I, 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 have to, I have to, I have to sit with that for a little bit because that's a that's a complicated concept. Yeah. But I, but I do, but I do think for a lot of people, there's a lot of life in that. I think you said young twenty yeah. something and asking that tough question. Yeah. yeah, this this gives you life instead of fear. And dark. and I think add on top of that, so not just a twenty something who's already asking questions, you know, like that questions about identity. We're all asking questions about identity. Right. But right. um. But then you add on to that um, what feels like an infinite number of possibilities um, right. in the modern age. Um, right. right. 
you know, it, yeah, it just keeps. Well, I think it actually gets harder as you get older because, yeah. and I say this to te- college students coming all the time, like, what am I going to do for a living? And I said, that decision's about to be made for you at some point. You're going to get married, <laughs> you're going to have kids, and then there's not 600 choices, there's two because there's one yeah. job you've got right now that's making money. Yeah. And you can't leave that and get another one. And, yeah. I, and I think for people in this day and age who get into those places where they're just trying to care for their families, going, what, what am I doing? Why? Mm-hmm. Am I living out anything significant? Because now I'm seeing the next 20 to 30 years trapped in this line of thing, line of this way of living. Yeah. And you can really easily get swamped by easily get swamped mm-hmm. by all of that. Yeah. And this is this is life-giving on the other side of that, I think. For sure. Yeah, really, 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 I believe that. So let me let me jump something else. So maybe this is this is related to this, but not, and I I I didn't I asked the question off off camera, but when we talk about this idea that once we've been given this role, this religious role, as you're claiming mm-hmm. it, that, that we now have a responsibility to do something with it. And you, yeah. you described that as um, um, sharing in God's dominion. You share that, yeah. that religious role yeah. is to share in God's rule. Mm-hmm. And, and you made a statement, that's not a transfer of ownership. And I, I looked for yeah. the word stewardship and you didn't, you didn't use yeah. it. I'm not that you have to defend yourself here, but no, I, well, I, I think part of why I was hesitant to use stewardship, not because I don't believe it, but because I think so there is so much out there on images of God as stewards of the garden and, and that sort of thing. And again, I'm not opposed to that line of thinking. I think there's a lot of richness in there, and that is precisely what we are. We are stewards of creation. I think a whole podcast could be about sort of... Um, you know, creation care. There's lots of thoughtful right. stuff out there about what it means to be images of God who give themselves to create that creation care is all of our, what it means to be the image. I'm not doing anything that the reason I didn't use steward is just because it opens a door for a whole nother discussion that I was not having in the right. sermon at that moment, I think. Um, and I used the idea for me, the thing that was important about that uh, idea of authority is that you were, it, it was not like you were asked to me in the story as it unfolds here in Genesis for us uh, is humanity is not asked if it wants an upper management position. Does it just want to sort of clock in and clock out at the end of the day uh, no. or, or does it want an upper management position? Like, no, you to be, human is to share in the authority that God has granted us under his authority as I qualified, Hmm. but it is to share in that and then to be accountable to the, Hmm. to that, that you've been given so that you are by your existence in relationship to God. To me, that's a profoundly different way, at least that I was used to hearing it and, and, yeah. and encountering it. That's a different way to think about what it means to be um, related to God or what to do with your life that people right. might, but no, like, because we exist, we have this obligation to Yahweh. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, it sounds a little hard nosed kind of it, but at, at the end of the day, I think, it reflects the reality and the graciousness of God in really profound ways that you're not here to sort of discover uh, some mysterious part of yourself or like you, 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 
You are graciously and gloriously given a beautiful and important function Mm. in the world as man and woman. Mm. Uh, You can choose not to do it. That's sort of the interesting part of this whole, maybe we'll get into that this week as Eve and the, and the, and the serpent have this conversation. Um, But it is absolutely, I think laid out in this gorgeous way that, we have a beautiful and and glorious design and function and dignity and all mm. that in front of us. Mm. And that that you know, I I, I think of and, and stewardship. I think you're right. I, I get your point. And and it can it can be a little. It has certain connotations. You use I don't know if you use this phrase, but I have it in my notes that you you share you work on his behalf. Mm-hmm. You obey him and you work on his behalf. I'm not sure exactly that's mm-hmm. a phrase you use, but that's yeah. what I gleaned from what you're saying. Yeah, that's but fair. I, I think what's, there's a there's another freeing part, and I, maybe for our people, this this would be helpful because we've had a chapel speaker do a really great job on this, and he said, "You're not here to save the world." <laughs> like, mm, yeah. like we're always told this. You know, if you do this right, you know, you could you can make a change. And I and mm-hmm. I see what sounds like excitement mm-hmm. actually becomes anxiety when then I'm screwing up. There was a, there was a really funny comedian years ago that said when he would hear Smokey Bear's commercials. Remember Smokey Bear, the old, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I know where you're you going, know this is going right. And I, I remember didn't. them and he would say, yeah. and he would point at the TV and he would say, only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the anxiety and the comedian said, I'm sitting at night going, I don't even know where they're going to start. <laughs> can I do that? But I think there's this, there's yeah. this tendency to say right now in our culture that it's up to you to fix it. And then mm-hmm. you measure faithfulness on whether you succeed. And, and if mm-hmm. we're working on his behalf, then the yeah. result is not the indication that we're, right. we're obeying him. Right. We're obeying him is the purpose of this. The result is not in our hands. It's in his hands. He's the sovereign. Right. King. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, that's the great gift that God as king and us underneath of his authority right. is, um, it's like Keith's job as the associate pastor. He's got he, it easy, doesn't he? Yeah, no, he doesn't. I'm teasing, just taking a few shots at him. But no, it, it, it is that thing that where um, there's a bit of a, 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 in this work that we do, yeah, there's never a moment where we cannot slack on the function and the role and the work that God has called us to do. But every night we go to bed, not in a world where it's up to us to right. make it happen. Right. But we go to bed in a world where God gives his beloved sleep, as the psalmist says. And that sleep is such a, a gorgeous image. I mean, the fact, I don't know, I probably, this is probably because it's late. In, we're doing this late in the day. If you all, <laughs> you wouldn't know what, but I, we rarely do this late in the day. This is probably a late in the day digression. Okay. But, but the, we'll the, the, going back to conversations we've had about evening and morning, um, the night, the gift of sleep, which if you've ever been deprived of it, uh, yeah. you know, you know what a gift it is if you struggle in that area. Um, what, what a reminder. I, I didn't say this in, in the sermon, but I wanted to do this. I ran out of room, but the idea that put here into this uh, design this blueprint it is the balance of the great vulnerability of what it means to be human and the great weakness 
with the great glory and dignity and joy that we're given in our work. And those two things are just, they're held together in what it means to be in the image of God, because you're not the fullness of God. And of course, this is, if you think about it, that's really where like his human history is a, is a, you know, a struggle to sort of hold these two things together. Um, you know, the great dignity and worth and value versus the great vulnerability of what it means to be human. Right. Yeah. And that's now, and that's, and that's true. I think, I think there's the history has, you know, those, those constant goal lines on either side where the game is played in between and certainly Mm -hmm. image of God, dignity, sin on the one it's a three-sided, but yet being a creature at the same time, we're never quite content with that. We, we'd rather be the creator. So we, yeah, uh, there was a, great bumper sticker something like don't try to be god the position's already been filled yeah like right. that, you know? yeah um but now, let me let me and let's end this way um and maybe this is a point to where you're headed and i i know there was a lot to unpack again all of this i know there's so much going on yeah um but in into this wonderful arrangement god puts this really curious tree um, yeah which to us sounds really curious and bizarre and strange right there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, which right. itself on its own, regardless of what fruit hung from it. And I know it's not an apple. And no, it was a fig. If you were wondering, <laughs> because the figs like had those big leaves that would have made sense that once you ate it, you would need, you know, if you're going to sew an apron out of leaves, you want the largest want that one. That, yeah. You yeah. want, you want something with one that actually coverage. looks like a skirt when it's done. Yeah, kilt, exactly. Kilt one might say. Yeah. All right. So, so, and I am, and I know there's a lot to unpack. You don't have to do it, but give us a sense of, this tree and uh, and why this is why this is in one sense the opposite or a danger to what god has created us to be what what lies in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that becomes such a a threat yeah. or such an opposite thing yeah to what god has made us to be i think there's a couple i i i first want to say i don't think i have a handle on exactly all the yeah, fullness sure of what's going on with this tree. But I think there are a couple of unmistakable things that to me fit this whole narrative that you can't look away from. And yeah, I'm, yeah. I, again, I think I might have a helpful word on it, but not the okay. final word here. Um, if God has shared his authority with humanity made in his image, uh, to me, the tree becomes a constant reminder that the authority that they've been given also has its limits. Like every tree of the garden, God says, Hmm. I have given you for food. And, and I think actually, I'm not looking at it again, but I think it says something like is the trees were beautiful for food. That that same thing that Eve wrestles with when she looks at the tree, that it was, it it was beautiful to look at and it was desires for food. I think God actually says that about all the trees in the garden when he says, I've given you these for food. Right. Um, so God has been radically generous in, in giving them everything for that they need and giving them this gorgeous space in which they were to bring all of their creative powers and the authority that God had granted them over this place to bring that to bear and to make it just, um, to build a civilization basically Mm. out of it. Um, but it feels to me like this one tree as the knowledge of good and evil. And I think uh, I, 
I think I'm, I'm going to say this publicly. I may have first heard this from you, Dan, hey, in, a, well. in another context. Did you do, maybe it was on the word of God or something? Yeah, we spent a little class. time there. I don't know if you spent some time there. Anyway, um, and by the way, I had it affirmed by other legitimate scholars. So it wasn't just Dan. <laughs> yeah, I had to throw that in. <laughs> no, but, but is this idea that um, this is the one thing that humanity had not matured into yet hmm. naming good and evil like that right that responsibility and right was god's alone and god was th this is how this i think for now this is my best understanding of how that tree functioned in in um in the story there in genesis as as adam and eve are prohibited from getting and so i i don't like to see it as much I know that, again, I'm just talking off the cuff here. That's what podcasts are for. That's right? what they're but for. This is not the pulpit. I, I don't like to see it as much as a prohibition and a test. As much as, and, and you can talk me out of this. I'm happy to be mm. talked out of it if I'm wrong. Um, I don't see it as much as a test by a God who sort of folded his arms and looking over. Okay, I'll see what these cats are made of. <laughs> I see it more of. This loving thing that God says, look, there is this one place that you are not ready. This is my responsibility. Here's here is your role and here is my role. And you can't do this if you're really going to be my image and share authority under my sovereignty. Here is where the line is drawn. And I think that's a really important part. And to me, it fits the whole story of redemptive history yeah. <laughs> and, and and history in general, but redemptive history in, in a really powerful way. That yeah, it was an ongoing reminder to them that all of their right. authority was derivative. Right, right. Which is good because I think maybe maybe what you're saying and not or not saying is that there's this tendency to see it as an arbitrary thing. Right. I need a right. test. I'll tell you what, I'll put two trees. Right. And hopefully you choose the right one. But that exactly this is more a a statement about the healthy. God-given limitation of his yes. creatures. Yeah. That he that we obviously and and this is one thing when I when I teach on a similar teach on this in one way in my classes, just say don't don't make the fruit look strange. It's the same fruit you and I yeah. taste and are tempted with all the time. And it's not mm -hmm. arbitrary. It's in fact right to the core of what it means to be a creature mm -hmm. under a God rather than a rather than a, a, a person that would like to be a God. And and we we know that's sort of part of right. the part of the test that that Eve faces. Yeah. And quite frankly, the test that Jesus was given very directly and yeah. more nuanced by by satan yeah when he says um i will give you all the nations uh yeah. if you will bow down and worship me well all of those were coming to jesus <laughs> i mean that's where we are right now that yeah. all yeah. the kings of the earth belong to god and and he gives them to his risen and ascended son and it will become clear to the world at, at one point but it just wasn't at that time and right. i that's sort of you know, I think a, a way to think think about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't that God wasn't willing to share that with Adam and Eve, but there's a sense in which that wasn't what uh, the the timing was was not right when when Eve takes it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I think we go back to to what you said earlier that that what God, the dignity or the the role God has given us is a very specific one under His authority. 
for his glory and our good, that, that equation there that sort of defines the image of God where we're at, that can't be everything. It, it, it has to stop where we accept that we are his creatures and his mm. people under his authority. Yeah. And I, and I mean, it's, it is, it is to me, it's so, it's so helpful to explain, to look at where humanity from there through scripture, but even our experience has gone yeah. off the rails as we, we actually feel like we can mess with God's rules, his standards, his holiness, his place, and we can get this right and we can get it right mm-hmm. without him. And God yeah. just constantly working to go, everything you're going to try without me is going to fail. But if you right. trust me, I will right. make it right. And that's, I mean, I think the Revelation 21, 22 is an incredible conclusion to all this when it's regardless mm. of all our efforts, which fail all the way through Revelation, right. it's I make all things new, mm. which is mm. where we, we should have been from the beginning and probably should be right now that, right. like you said, we're under a sovereign God. We obey him, not because he's arbitrary, we obey yeah. him because he's the good and great king. Um, and the temptation is to, is to take his job. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's um, one of the great uh, sort of explain. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give us a brief preview, but like what we're going to find out in the story of, of Eve in Genesis three and Adam there, it's like this contrast between what they're given as authority and what they want is autonomy and mm. and i think like that's a really great explanation mm. for a bunch of stuff in the history of 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 our relationship with god but it i think it also makes sense of the story like as we're raising kids like what do kids right. they want autonomy like we give them the, I, I don't know that i won't again late in the day <laughs> oh, yeah. and i'm rambling well don't but, take away one of the stories you're going to use for the service yeah exactly it's not fresh yeah. and new well, but, your point is a good direction on that. Yeah, is that so? What we're seeing here is, um, yeah, that that what seems to be certainly since the fall, this human bent toward autonomy rather than living under authority. And then when we get the autonomy, we we realize all of a sudden we're like the dog who caught the car, and we don't know <laughs> what to do with it. Yeah, we could never yeah. quite, quite uh, do good with it for sure. Yeah. Right, and it's the same, and it really is a very consistent temptation. It's not. I do, I do like, I do like this because I what you've been helping us with is that it, some of this stuff is not really as strange. I mean, that the 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 actual things that Moses used seem strange to us because of course they're different, but the the well, underlying but, principles and truths are really about as comfortable and common as anything else i mean yeah there is a talking snake in the text this week dan so it does (laughs) (laughs) well i I, that was my experience on the farm i I had a lot of those yeah exactly but even the underlying principles some of that are probably things that we yeah if we allow them to speak to us as they're meant to speak we we see we see truth there that we can understand right right well thanks luke i look forward to seeing what you'll do with uh, the fall it's been pretty positive and happy now it's about to get a little dark and dismal i think yeah yeah it uh it 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 begins uh well redemptive history <laughs> and yeah, that's right that means that something has to be redeemed so yeah it does get it does get it does get ugly here yeah. well good thank you brother we'll see you thank Sunday. you dan thanks for your work Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. 
You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.